we are reading together in the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, some sections from 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17. The reading is found on page 288 uh, in the Bible provided by the church. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we begin our reading at verse 1. And we read this by way of background to our study in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20 this morning. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camped at Ephes Damim between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shackles. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shackles. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed. And terrified. Then verse 16. For forty days the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Then we're moving through to verse 32. And in between, David, the son of Jesse, has come to bring supplies to his brothers who are in Saul's army. And whilst he is with his brothers, he hears the Philistine define the armies of Israel and the God of Israel. And so we read verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and worried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell fast sorry, fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine 
and killed him. Amen. Let us continue to worship. Ephesians chapter 6. They want us to hold in our minds everything we've read in 1 Samuel and everything we've sung in Psalm 54. As we come now to read this passage about Christian warfare. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Amen. Boys and girls, come to the front, please. We have reached the closing section in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, page 1177 in the Church Bible. And in his closing section, Paul seeks to do two things. Verses 10 to 20, he provides us with significant teaching on what we call Christian or spiritual warfare. And then in verses 21 to 24, we have Paul's closing or parting greetings. And each part is important and instructive. And so this morning in our 15th sermon on this letter, we will restrict ourselves to verses 10 to 20 of chapter 6. And next time in our concluding sermon... We will look at verses 21 to 24. 
Our subject this morning is Christian warfare. Perhaps that shocks you. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, I thought that a Christian is a man, a woman, a boy or girl of peace. How can you speak of Christian warfare? Was not Jesus, after all, a man of peace? Does he not, in this very letter, call us through Paul to maintain the bond of peace? And does not Paul close his letter in verse 23 with these words, Peace to the brothers. How then can we speak of Christian warfare. Well Christ is our peace. And Christ does command us. To maintain the bond of peace. We are as far as it lies with us. To live at peace. Not only with Christians and one another. But with all men. As the psalmist says. Pursue it earnestly. And it is tragic when strife, disagreement and fallout occur among Christians. Either within a family or within the church. How ugly and contrary to the gospel is the professing Christian who's always out for a fight. He's out for an argument. And fights continually and falls out continually with other Christians. How ugly and contrary to the gospel is the professing Christian who is outspoken. Who is arrogant. Who is opinionated. Who makes themselves the standard of truth and righteousness. And so everyone is judged by their standard, not the standard of Christ. How ugly and contrary to the gospel is the Christian who attacks those who don't see things his or her way. Warfare among Christians is too often about self. And most often to be avoided. But there is a warfare that is truly Christian. In which all who name Jesus as Saviour are engaged. Christian warfare is supremely and firstly warfare against the devil. And against evil. And those who serve the devil. It's also against the world and against the flesh. And we thought about the world and the flesh earlier in our studies in Ephesians. And now Paul brings us to Christian warfare against the devil. He shows us the nature of this warfare in these verses. He speaks of the weapons by which we wage the war and win the war. 
And he provides us with the secret of success or to success. Let us look at the section under the three headings on your order of service. First of all, enlisted in Christian warfare. Verse 12. This is the reality. Do you belong to Christ? Has he saved you from your sins? Has he brought you by grace from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Well, that being the case, the devil is your number one enemy. For on becoming a Christian, you changed sides. You left the ranks of his army, or you were delivered and taken from the ranks of his army by the Christ. And you were enlisted in Christ's army. And you are now the devil's enemy. And he is your enemy. Your subtle enemy. Your dangerous enemy. Your unrelenting enemy. You're the object of his ongoing attacks. And there's only one way to deal with him. Only one way. You can't sit down and negotiate peace. As for example, Eden tried to do before the Second World War. And came thinking he had peace in our time. There's no peace in our time with the devil. There is only Christian warfare. Look at verses 11 B and 12 at this point. Paul describes our enemy in the closing words of verse 11 with these words, the devil's schemes, NIV. Literally it is the trickeries of the devil. He is a trickster. He is a shrewd, powerful, manipulative operator who is out to deny you Your blessings in Christ. He can't take you out of Christ. He can't touch you in Christ. But he will seek to deny you your blessings. To rob you of the experience and the joy of them in Christ. And he will use every trick in the book to get us aware of you. He will flatter you. In order to get his way with you. He will woo you. In order to get his way with you. He will reason with you. To get his way with you. And then when he's had his way with you. He will condemn you. And he will haunt you. And he will dump you. To yourself. That's the kind. Of person. And being he is. And that's why Paul uses this phrase. The trickeries of the devil. And we are enrolled in warfare. Against that kind of enemy. But not only does he manipulate us. To get his way with us. He is the most formidable enemy. Imaginable for us. Look now at verse 12. For our struggle. It would be better translated. 
because our struggle. And it's more than a word struggle, it's the word wrestling. Because our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now this debate and discussion amongst theologians and Bible students, are there ranks of evil within the kingdom of the devil? And I don't believe that that actually is what Paul is trying to accomplish here. He's not trying to show that there's different kinds of evil for different kinds of places and different ranks. He's just saying, I want you to realize the sheer formidable force of the kingdom of evil that is rallied against you. Paul wants to parade our enemy before us in all his might and in all his magnitude in this verse. His point is, the devil is a most formidable enemy. And behind all human opposition to the gospel and to Christians... Ultimately lies the hand and there are the fingerprints of the devil. That's what Paul is saying. Behind all evil against the gospel and against Christ lies the hand and are found the fingerprints of the devil. He has legions of angels who's serving, and whom he deploys against Christians. Our warfare is against one who often works through other people, but equally can attack us without using people. The devil is the head of a spiritual army that is evil. That's why Paul talks about the day of evil. And he talks in verse 12, about the forces of evil. And he talks later about the evil one. Because that's how we're to sum him up. If God is the epitome of all goodness and grace, the devil is the epitome of all evil and wickedness and harm that can come to people. And he heads up this spiritual army that is evil. And Paul, when he says... Because uh, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. He's wanting us to realize that this battle that we're engaged in, it's not like a wrestling match. When I was a boy, a teenager, and we got television, uh, when I was in my early teens, we got electric and on Saturday afternoon, everything had to stop for the wrestling. And my father, you would have watched him and you would have thought he was actually in the ring. Because every move, and of course you had giant haystacks, and your big daddy, and when you got those guys on together, you had quite a bout. An extravaganza of just trickery and 
playing with each other and showing skill, but then coming in and pinning the other down to win the bout. And you see there's a skill in that. There's a bit of fun in it. And we can enjoy it. There's nothing ultimately dangerous in it. Paul's saying, Christian, realize we are not in a wrestling match. This is not a game. This is not about um, having skill or developing skills. He says, no, this and the picture that he's going to develop later is the Roman war soldier. This is about life and death. In terms of our spiritual well-being, in terms of our spiritual growth, in terms of our spiritual maturity, the devil, if we don't face him down, and if we don't deal with him in our lives, he has the ability to starve us and rob us of so much blessing of God. This is warfare. It's a matter of victory or defeat. And so Paul uses the image of the Roman soldier. And it's not the soldier on ceremonial duty, the kind of soldier that you see if you visit Buckingham Palace. No, this is the soldier on the war front. The soldier that conquered the ancient world for Rome. And Paul says, fellow Christian at Ephesus, fellow Christian in Fergus, you are a soldier. A soldier. You are enlisted in Christ's army against the devil. You're not in a game. You're not out for a picnic. You're not coasting through life. You are in a war zone. Grasp that. But then secondly, let's notice how equipped for Christian warfare. We're looking now at verses 11 and verses 13 to 17. It's a daunting task, is it not? It fills us with fear, does it not? You, I, we, weak, frail, unimpressive individuals that we are, arrayed against the devil and the legions at his disposal, arrayed uh, against, lined up, were lined up against evil in all its magnitude and might. And you and I could be forgiven for feeling like Saul and the armies of Israel before Goliath and the Philistines in First Samuel 17. We could be forgiven for carving and for being frightened. But the point is, we're not left to wage war against this formidable enemy with our own meager resources. If we were, we would be like a slug before a human foot. One movement, and we would be extinguished forever. We have an armour to wear. And we are equipped for Christian warfare. Paul, verse 11, writes, Put on the armour of God. 
Every army, the British army, has an officer commanding. The Roman army had an officer commanding. And it is the job of the officer commanding to equip his troops for the battle. And Paul assures us here that our commanding officer, Jesus Christ, provides us with equipment, with an armour to wear in the war against the devil. And just as in the Second World War, the gas mask was a vital piece of the soldier's armour and indeed of the civilian's armour to survive in the event of the gas attack, nerve gas or whatever. So the armour for the Christian is essential equipment. It's mandatory equipment that we put it on and in order to defeat the enemy. The rest of the verse To be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the armour of God. To be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Is written by Paul in a way that guarantees success. It doesn't come out in our English versions. But in the Greek it's very, very clear. And Paul is saying with this armour of God we are able to stand. It's not that we might stand or will partly stand but it is that we will surely and certainly stand against the devil's schemes. We will win the war against the devil. And this is very important because this is the balance against all that we've seen about the, the formidable ability of the enemy. Yes, he is formidable. But dressed in the armour God provides, we can win and we will win. You don't need to car before the devil. Just as David did not need to car before Goliath. You don't need to hide in a corner. You don't need to run in fear. You don't need to be in dread of each day of doing battle with him. You don't need to doubt the outcome. Wear the armour Christ provides and you are sure to win. Is that not wonderful? Is that not what every soldier needs to hear? Would the British troops in Afghanistan this morning be delighted if they knew that simply wearing the armour, if they put on the armour, they would defeat the Taliban? It's not as simple as that in human warfare. But that it is that simple and it is that straightforward in Christian warfare. Is that not liberating? Should that not make us eager To engage the devil. If we can win. And we can defeat him. So Paul in verses 13 to 17. Using the picture of the Roman soldier. Which he would have been very familiar with. 
he outlines what our armour is. I can't take time this morning to speak about each part of the armour, but here's the best I can do. Over the next weeks in the children's addresses, we're going to take each part of the armour and look at it in turn. But here's the point I want us to grasp this morning about the big picture of the armour. Five parts of it. The the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, and the helmet are defensive. And that's the order in which uh, a Roman soldier would have put on his armour. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, and the helmet. And when he had that on, he was ready to, to defend himself. And he could survive any attack by the enemy. These uh, items are designed to protect you against the assault of the devil on the different parts of your person. And so, for the Christians, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation... And I believe that what lies behind these is the devil attacks us in each of these parts of our being in a different way. And it's each part of the armour that protects us against his attack when it comes in one area as opposed to the other. So these weapons are defensive. But then the remaining two weapons, the sword and prayer, and there's no equivalent in the Roman soldier's um, equipment for prayer. Paul is not enslaved to his illustration, and so he can go beyond it, and he does go beyond it. And so the remaining two weapons, the sword and prayer, they are offensive. They represent scripture and prayer. And these two weapons will enable us to drive back the devil. To drive him back. So that he's forced to withdraw. And leave us alone. Isn't that what he did with our saviour? When our saviour drew out the sword. When he did so in the power of prayer. That he prayed at the beginning of the day. And the end of the day when he sought his father. When he drew out the sword. And in prayer, then the devil, we're told, had to withdraw from him. And you see, when we draw out the sword, the word and prayer against the devil, we take new ground. We take new ground. We advance in our lives for Christ. It's not just that we want to hold the ground that we've gained up to this point. We've got to be going forward. Going forward to conquer sinful habits. By the word and prayer we're able to overcome our individual struggles. We're able to overcome personal doubts where the devil has held us captive for years. And so we have this equipment, this armour, that Paul says, put on, verse 11. 
But then the tense in which Paul writes the verbs in verses 13 to 17, it's significant. It's significant. The main verb is an imperative, verse 13. Take up. And the idea is not that we keep on taking up, but the idea is that you take up once and for all time. Take up once and for all time the armor. This is not something that we leave off. But tomorrow we can say, well, I don't need to put on the armor today. Or maybe we think, well, on the Sabbath, I don't need to put it on because I'm going to church. No, the armor for the Christian should never be off. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword and prayer. Never put off. We've taken them up as Christians and they're on us continually. And so, take up the armor of God. And then, here's what Paul says. As we have this armor of God on us once and for all time, that you may be able to withstand, and it means to withstand completely, to withstand entirely, to withstand continually in the evil day. And then he comes back again, and having done all things, having all this armour in place, to stand, and it means to stand resolutely, to stand firmly, to stand unmovably, unshakably. And isn't that what David did? He had the armour of God on. The armour of Saul, it was useless. He couldn't move around in it. And the armour that man provides to try and stand against the devil, it's useless. Human psychology and even much of the counselling that is offered today in the Christian church, it's useless because it's all earthed in man. But you see, David here, in the Old Testament against Goliath, and you and I against the devil, when we put on the armour and we keep it on, we'll not need much counselling. And we'll not need much human ideas because we have all that we need in what Christ provides. And we will be able to stand. The devil cannot overcome you when you have the armour of God on continually. But then let's notice thirdly and finally this morning. Enlisted in Christian warfare Equipped for Christian warfare. And how wonderful it is that we are equipped entirely and continually by Christ. And that we can withstand completely and resolutely and firmly and unmovably this realm and kingdom of evil that's arrayed against us. But then let's notice finally, empowered for spiritual warfare. We're looking now at verse 10 and then verses 18 to 20 coming to look further at prayer. The armour that we put on once is vitally important. It's essential kit and you dare not neglect it. 
You cannot set it aside for your own ideas, your own resources. Human argument, human strength, human wisdom, human numbers will not ever, ever defeat the devil in your life. But equally, the armour of God, the armour, sorry, the armour of God has no power in itself. The armour isn't some kind of magical potion. It's not some kind of lucky charm. Some footballers, when they're going out to play in a match, they'll put on something that they believe is a lucky charm. Because they've scored in the past. Or they've saved goals. If they're a goalie in the past, when they wear this kind of talisman, And the armour is not like that. Its power lies in the one who issues it to us. And the one who commands us to put it on. And so the armour must never be separated or disconnected in our thoughts or in our lives from the Lord who gives it. Its power resides in him. That's why verse 10 Paul says, For the rest, my brethren, be empowered. Uh, I'm translating it literally here. In the NIV it is, be strong. And that could give the idea that you've got to be strong in yourself. No, it's not. It's not. It's not gather up your old strength. It is a passive imperative. Be strengthened. Be empowered In the Lord. The strength comes from him. The power is his. And in the might of his strength. Let's put it this way. The belt of truth. To be any good. Has to be God's truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Is God's righteousness. To us in Christ. The shoes of the gospel are God's gospel to us in Christ. The shield of the faith is the faith that God gives to us in Christ. The helmet of salvation is God's salvation in Christ. So the breastplate and the belt and the shoes and the shield and the helmet always have got to be Joined, as it were, to the Lord. And that being so, we go to the Lord Jesus for power and for might and strength as we wear the armour. Isn't that what David said? I come against you, Goliath, in the Lord's great name, in the name of God Almighty, by His power. And so, because we are empowered for spiritual warfare by the Lord, and in union with the Lord Jesus, remember we're hooked onto his belt, we hang from his belt, because that is the case, then Paul makes this comprehensive statement about prayer in verses 18 to 20. Here is how you receive the Lord's strength day by day. 
And it's striking that Paul's two verbs now, praying and watching, are present participles. You've put on the armour once for all, and you're able to stand against the devil once for all, but you're to keep on praying, you're to keep on watching, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, second by second. Because this is a very shrewd enemy. And if you're not watching and you're not praying, he will creep up behind you or he'll be round the corner in front of you and he'll get you before you realise it. And so we're to be vigilant like a soldier. And praying when we sense the devil's approach. That's how a soldier survives. In Afghanistan. He's always watching. And he's always. You watch the. Policemen. And soldiers are. And the the finger always knacks the trigger. And you see our finger must always be on the trigger. Of prayer. So at that moment. Having prayed at the beginning of the day. Before we've gone out into the world. And here now we're in the world and the devil comes like that at us and we pull the trigger and we shoot up an instant prayer like Nehemiah to our God because we see him approach. So Paul says pray and watch. And as we pray and watch we're empowered. Our as it were, our armour is filled with all its power to protect us and to enable us, empower us to overcome. It protects us and it makes us offensive as well. And Paul's emphasis on prayer here is very persistent and it is a completely thorough He uses the word all four times. All prayer. At all times. With all perseverance. And notice you're praying not just for yourself in the spiritual battle. But for all the saints. Your fellow church members. Your fellow believers in your family. Your fellow believers that you work with. And is this not where the battle is lost or won? We may have the uniform of the Christian soldier perfectly in place. But if we're not watching. And if we don't pray. We won't be able to stand against the subtlety and the guile of the devil. That is why it's so important for you if you're a young Christian. That you learn to pray. That you learn to talk to your heavenly father. And if you've been a Christian for years, that's why you need to deepen and grow and develop in your prayer life. Because the attacks of the devil, they become more subtle, more clued, more, more, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Shrewd and cunning. Just like the IRA terrorists. When the campaign began in Northern Ireland, their, their weapons were fairly crude. By the end of 40 years, they were very, very shrewd and sophisticated. And the army always had to keep ahead of them. 
And we've got to realize that. When we start out as young Christians, the devil will come with fairly crude tactics against us. But then as we get older and more mature, his tactics will become more shrewd and cunning and sophisticated. And if we're not growing in prayer, and if we're not growing in watchfulness, and in our spiritual intelligence, in the scripture, we are not going to stand against him. So Paul says, pray all times, all kinds of prayers, all perseverance, and for all the saints. Are you praying like that? If we're not praying like that, is it any surprise if we're not progressing in our Christian lives? If we're not taking ground from the devil and against the devil. And is that not the weakness in the church today? We're not praying as we ought to be praying. And so we're not progressing as the church. And we're not taking the ground against the devil. I love our prayer meetings. I wouldn't miss our prayer meetings for the world on a Sabbath evening before worship. But are we praying for people to be converted? Are we wrestling with God and urging God and recognizing these people that we're working with, they will not be saved, they will not be rescued by our friendship or our input in Bible study or whatever. Those are important, but they will not be prayed unless the Lord God lays hold of them in Christ. And we're to watch and we're to pray for that. Brethren, I urge you, let's begin to plead for souls. To plead for individuals. To name people continually in our prayer meeting that we're working with. Because that's how we take new territory in the church. It's not programs. It's not schemes. It's the word and it's watching and praying. And notice that brings us then in a word or two, because our time is gone, to Paul's closing statement. He's an apostle. He's a man mighty in the word, and he's mighty in prayer. But he's very conscious of this reality in his own Christian life and in the ministry. He exercises that he needs prayer. He needs prayer. The great apostle. The one who's the, the delight after Christ in all the churches. The one upon whose lips people hang for words of instruction and counsel and wisdom. And Paul says, and for me. For me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul has the gospel. He's committed to teaching the gospel, to making it known. But he knows that unless there's prayer, for him and for the gospel as he shares it, 
it will not be effectual because we have a mighty enemy. And Paul, of course, is under house arrest in Rome. And he's seeking to witness to the gospel from his place of confinement. He's witnessing to the Roman soldiers that are chained to him, are guarding him. He's witnessing to those in Rome who come into him to visit him. He's giving counsel to church leaders who visit him from across the empire. He's also dictating and writing letters to churches that are facing various spiritual and moral difficulties. And at the bottom line of it all is, Paul knows, if I am to exercise this ministry effectively for Christ, I need to be strengthened in the Lord and in the might of his power. Every day I rise, every letter I write, every conversation I have, I expect and I believe that you pray for me and the other elders. And I need your prayers. I'm a frail man. A sinner like you saved by grace. The object of Satan's attacks even more than you are. That's true of my fellow elders as well. And we have a critical role in Christ's church among you. And in this community, as we teach, as we lead, as we pastor, as we counsel, as we witness to the gospel. And we say to you, will you pray for us also? Also. And if you're never sure how to pray for your minister, or how to pray for your elders, mark this verse in your Bible today, and every day from now on, simply put our names on it. Ronnie's name, Jonathan's name, Johnny's name, and my name. And use the words, pray, I pray that Ronnie, that wherever he is, will open his mouth. Words will be given to him that he will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Do that. The Lord will hear that and answer that. And that's how we're in part for spiritual warfare. Christian warfare. Enlisted in it, equipped for it, and empowered for it. Friends, let's get to it. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for your great grace to us in Jesus Christ that not only saves us from our sin, but then enlists us in your army and makes us soldiers for your kingdom, for your truth, for your righteousness. We are arrayed against a formidable enemy, as we've seen today. But we thank you that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world and he who is against us. And so, Lord God, help us not to think in terms of every day I put on this spiritual armour, but once I put it on. Put it on once. And now I go out in the strength 
of it, in the protection of it, and they go out to fight the evil one, to resist him in my own life, to take new ground against him, to become more like Christ, and then empowered by Christ, I am able to stand against him. Lord God, help us each one to lay hold of us, to know that in Christ we are in part. Help us, Lord God, to see new ground taken in this community. Lord, give us a burden to pray for people individually, to pray for their salvation, to realize there's only one way by which they will be saved. And it is by your intervening power and your redeeming grace. Burden us, O God, in our hearts for men and women and boys and girls. And may we see them snatched by Christ like brands out of the fire, out of the kingdom of darkness and planted to your glory in the kingdom of grace and light. In Jesus' name. Amen.